You are listening to sermon audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to connect, visit us online at gracecc.net. Genesis 18, as we continue our journey through this incredible book, it's a, it's one, I mean, all these stories are just gripping stories, but somehow this one seems more gripping than anyone until we get to Genesis 22, which is a horror story. Genesis 18 is a, helps us see who God is. That's, that's why it's there, specifically, so we can see who God is. So I've got a question for you. Who is the better God, George Burns or Morgan Freeman? <laughs> Shall we take a vote? <laughs> what we see in Genesis 18 is a, is a real picture of God. And we want to look at this together. So there are notes back in the back because I'm going to geek out you in a bit in the scripture. So take a look. Genesis 18. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great oaks of Mamre, where he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried to enter the tent to meet them, bowed low to the ground. He said, if I found your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought, and then you may wash your feet and rest under the tree. Let me get you something to eat so you can be refreshed and then go on your way. Now that you've come to your servant. Very well, they answered. Do as you say. So they hurried to the tent and get Sarah. Quick, quick, get three Sarahs of and, 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 and they ran to the and he said, Do you get the point there? He's really rushing around trying to get all this stuff put together. Brought some curds and milk and calf. And while they ate, he stood near under a tree. Highest respect that he's showing these three men. He doesn't even see himself worthy to eat with them. He doesn't stop and have tea. He hurries off and then he stands near them. So here's the journey of Abram. We saw it back in chapter 12. He began in Ur down in modern-day Iraq. near, uh, And then he makes this trip up to Haran, stops there for a while, and then God says, okay, let's go. Heads down to Bethel, middle of Israel, and sacrifice to the Lord, chapter 12. Then the second half of chapter 12, he goes down to Egypt, a very dangerous place because of the famine. And what does he do there? He gives his wife away. Good idea or bad idea? Seriously, seriously bad idea. Seriously bad idea. God rescues him. He comes back up to Bethel, up to Israel, and that's where we're at today. So this is the place we're talking about, the Oaks of Mamre. I'm curious about these things. So this is, the, you see the Dead Sea. You see Jerusalem up there. You see Jericho over there at the head of the Dead Sea. You see Hebron, or you see uh, Beersheba down there, south end of the land. And there in the middle is Hebron. And the Oaks of Mamre are just west of Hebron. There's a town there today. And Hebron, of course, is a major city. If you look on the topographical map, you can see where Hebron is there. It's in the Judean hills. It's a beautiful place. It's up toward the top, and the oaks are right on the top of the hills, so you can see everything from there. It's an amazing place. You can see why Abram loved the place and basically spent his whole life there if he wasn't running off to Egypt or something. So the question, 
Where's Sodom? It's not on the map. Maybe Sodom's up there. North side of the Sea of Ga- uh, Dead Sea up, or across from Jericho. That's a possibility. Maybe it's down in that little hip that sticks out in the middle of the Dead Sea down south. Or perhaps it's down on the south side where it's now covered up by the Dead Sea. There are good and godly scholars that hold all of those and they fight with each other. So come back next week. Jay will tell you the definitive place where Sodom is. I mean, it, it, we're going to get it. I've wondered for years. Jay's going to get it figured out for us. Which one of those three locations? There you go. Note what he does here. I'm going to, uh, just warning, 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 warning. I'm going to geek out on you totally for about five minutes. So if you're one of those that loves it, here it comes. If you're one of those, oh my gosh, there he goes again. It'll be over soon. So, what happens? The Lord, what does that mean? If you see four capital letters, what does that mean? That's the name Yahweh. That's the way our translators represent that the Hebrew word there is Yahweh, the personal name of God. So, I've got titles. I'm professor. I'm elder here at Grace. I'm grandfather. and very happy about that. My personal name is Gary. Spelled the right way. Gary comes and, no, the Lord comes. And Abram invites three men. Now this is Moses the narrator talking. And he says Yahweh shows up to Abraham. And Abram looks up and he sees three men. What an incredible tension. Like what in the world is going on here? I thought we were talking about Yahweh. But then he looks up and he sees three men. Weird. And these three men sit down and have dinner. Can God have dinner? You know, is this, what is this? And the question that runs through the whole thing, so we see Lord, now what is that? That's Yahweh, the personal name of the creator of the heaven and earth, of the universe. And so we put in our little chart here, Lord, four capital letters, that's Yahweh. And the verb appeared is singular plural. It's singular. So Lord is one God, even though, as we look canonically, that's Trinity. So it's Lord is singular because he is one God. Okay, that's easy. Now it gets weird. 18.3. Abram said, If I found favor in your eyes, my Lord, capital or small letters? Okay, so it's, and pass, singular or plural? That's singular. Okay, so we fill in our chart. Lord, so that, the word there then means sir. And that's the way that I address Jay, because he is my Lord and Master here. No, actually not, but yeah. Sarah, yes. Jay, not so much. That's the NIV. Now here's where it gets a little strange. That's the translation we preach from. It's a very good translation. Another very good translation is the ESV, English Standard Version. And what do you see there for Lord? It's capitalized. What does that mean? That means he's seeing them as not sir, but God. Weird. That translation's it's interpretive. So we have to correct things a little bit and put Lord or capital L Lord in singular verb. That doesn't change. Okay, verse 12. I know we haven't read it yet. We're going to go through the whole passage here, so you geeks get it. The rest of you, I'll get up here in a little bit. 
Sarah laughed to herself and she thought, after I am worn out and my Lord is old. Who's she addressing here? Abraham. Is he God? Of course he's her husband. No, 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 clearly not. No, 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 no. No, in fact, he's a very sinful human. My Lord is old. Now that, so that's lowercase, obviously. She's not going to address him as God. She's going to address him as Sir, term of respect. And it's, the verb is singular. You see a pattern beginning to form here. Now here's the thing that's weird. Both 18.3 and 18.12 have exactly the same Hebrew word. It's exactly the same Hebrew word. Exactly the same Hebrew word, Adonai. But in, in verse 3, it's referring to three men who are Yahweh. And in verse 12, it's referring to Abraham. Weird. Weird, weird. Now, here's the weirder thing about it. What is that word that I just put up there in English now? Is that hold or held? Depends. 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 See, in Hebrew, biblical Hebrew and modern day Hebrew, if you read the newspaper in Israel, there are no vowels in there, only consonants. How do you tell whether it's hold or held? Well, native speakers will recognize it almost immediately and almost with ambiguity. Second language people, that's horrible. So what happened as Hebrew people got past the birth of Jesus, Hebrew is less common, wasn't spoken, people are not living in Hebrew-speaking communities, Jewish people, is they took this, which was just consonants, so that's like HLD, and instead of trusting people put in the things, the Masoretes, who are biblical scholars, I mean deep, deep, vibrant, thoughtful, totally scholar, Hebrew, said, well, these are the Masoretes, about 600, 700 A.D., they put in vowels around the consonants. They can't change the consonants, can't move them, so they put in dots and dashes and things to represent vowels. So you can tell, you don't have to guess where it's hold or held, it's the E is written under the L, and that's the way they did it. It's, so if you buy a Hebrew Bible today, it will have the vowel pointing in it. And that's an interpretive thing done by faithful Jewish scholars around 6700 AD, the Masoretes. Now, here's the thing that's weird. In 18.3, it has this particular version. In 18.12, it has different vowels. Okay. In 18.3, See, there's the vowel difference between the two. In 18.12, it's Lord, Sir. Why do we know that? It's talking about Abraham. So no doubt there, it's little L. But up here, in 18.3, it has different pointing, a different vowel, and that means it's referring to God. And what this is saying what this is saying. And remember, this is not inspired text. This is faithful Jewish interpreters from 6700 AD. I mean, they're brilliant, hardworking. They know the Bible through and through and through, Old Testament. And what they're interpreting there is that in 18.3, they're saying it's, it's referring to God, the three men. 
So you see what happens here, he said, this is saying the ESV is representing the Masoretic scholars, the faithful Jewish interpreters. Are you weirded out yet? Hang on, we ain't done. Seems to me, and I actually agree with the Masoretes here in the way I read the story, you should mark out the little L. I think it should be capitalized. I think the ESV interpretation is the better interpretation. Now, we're ta talking about inspired text. We're talking about interpretive stuff. But this is ancient faithful Jewish folk. So I would put capital L, Lord there, singular verb, referring to the three men. Okay, now, a little further down. This is after the stuff with Sarah, and he's talking about Sodom. Men turned away and went toward Sodom, but Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Then Abram spoke up, now that I've been so bold to speak the Lord, though I'm nothing but dust and ashes, what if the number of the righteous less five, less than 50, we'll talk about that a little later, will you destroy, and you see Lord and destroy there? Uppercase or lowercase? Uppercase, because here everybody knows that Abraham knows he's talking to Yahweh. It's absolutely clear. So it's capital L and a singular verb in that last dialogue, 1827 to 32. Now here I get a, a weirder yet. I told you I was going to geek out on you. Who comes to Sodom? Remember we just saw the men went toward Sodom? Who arrives in Sodom? Two angels. Are they men or are they angels? Like what is going on here? Right, Sodom, and when... And Lot does just like Abraham. He runs out, meets them, bows down, gives them hospitality, all that kind of stuff. And he says, my lords. So what it is here, it's lords, lowercase, and a plural verb. Because he's talking to two angels or humans. He's going to call them both. Weird. Now, in between 1902 and 1918, we've got... The angels are doing bad things to these guys that want to gang rape them. Come back next time. It's an X-rated story next time that Jay's going to take us through. Lot said to them, to these two men who have just overwhelmed a bunch of gang of tough guys, he said to them, no, my lords, please. What is it there? You know what's there? The Masoretes have put in the divine pointing there. According to the Masoretic scholars, these faithful Jewish interpreters, 600 AD, they're saying Lot has recognized by then that these two men angels are actually Yahweh. Because you would not use this pointing to refer to an angel. According to the Masoretes, Lot has figured out these two guys are God. Is that weird yet? Totally. So in this last one, it's capital L, Lords, and that is the Hebrew pointing, and it's plural verb. How many gods do we have? Then why is the verb plural? And why do we got three guys showing up for dinner? Totally. And one more weirdness. One, there's lots more, but only do one more. Two men said to Lot, verse 12. Remember, we've called them angels before. Two men said to Lot. Anyone else belongs to you, get them out of here because we are going to destroy this place. Who's going to destroy the place? The two dudes, angels. But in chapter 19, verse 24, who destroys Sodom? What does that say? These two guys are Yahweh. 
totally, totally weird. Now, there are all kinds of different interpretations. Of this. Some people think it's Yahweh plus two angels. Some people think it's the second person of the Trinity who will become Jesus with two guys he met on the way over to Abraham's house. It's not impossible. I don't think it fits the text, but... And some people, and I'm one of them, think this is the Trinity. This is the ancient Egypt, uh, ancient Orthodox, Greek Orthodox interpretation of the Reblev's icon, 15th century icon. He's got three, all kinds of symbolism. You look it up on Wikipedia, amazing stuff. When Trinity shows up to have lunch with Abraham. Can God eat lunch? He does. Weird. Okay, so much for geeking. Back to the story. What happens here? God comes to meet Abraham, and he hurries off. Let me get you something that you've come to your servant. What he's doing, Abraham hurries and personally brings the feast. So it would be absolutely normal hospitality for him as the rich landowner to tell his servants, bring us tea and you go fix the meal. That would have been absolutely normal. And he would sit there and talk to them for an hour or so, drinking tea, talking stories, sharing pictures of God, while the servants went to fix the meal. He doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. What does he do? He personally heads over to get the food ready, personally does that. It says how we meet God. When God shows up in your life, how do you meet him? Abraham gives us a picture of how to meet God. And for a lot of us, we meet God with whining and complaining. What you done for me lately, God? Now, there's a place to lament to God, absolutely. But there's also a, let me show you hospitality because you are Lord of the universe. You are the unstoppable God. And we got some stuff we got to talk about, but he's still God. And I look at that, and I think that's a good lesson. Now, heart of the story. Verse 9. Where's your wife Sarah? Who's saying that? Yahweh. They, they, they. What are they talking, in unison? No, I think this is Trinity. They say to him, oh, they're in the tent. Why is she in the tent? That's just normal. Guys eat, women stay in the tent. Fortunately, has changed now, but that was a custom in those days and still many parts of the world. Then one of them said, one of the three said, I'll return to this time next year and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. How old is she? She's like 89 years old. I sat with Dr. Mary Wilder last night. She was with a group of people in our home and we were celebrating this amazing woman of God, doctor in Pakistan, uh, just an astonishingly powerful woman of God and a lot of fun. She's not 89, but her body is so messed up that she can... I had to give her all kinds of help to get her down the two small steps from the front of her house. Sarah is older than Dr. Mary. You're going to have a son. You're going to have a son. <laughs> really? What's he saying? You're going to be pregnant like really soon now. Because a year, that means I've got to get it on like right now. 
You're going to have a son. Not someday, the promise back in chapter 12. Right now. Sarah. She's worn out, she says. That's a phrase. A woman referring to herself as worn out. It's the same phrase that Job uses when he's lamenting his awful state. So a man wastes away like something rotten, like a garment eaten by moss. It's a disdain for myself. It's, I think she sees herself with self-loathing. Her, to use the contemporary term, her self-image is terrible. Why? She gave Hagar, messed everything up. She can't have a child. That's, that's her mission in life. She is the one who, through whom the son is going to come, and she's failed. It's, it's her. It's not Abraham. He's fathered a child. Self-loathing. Not only a sinful person, but her attitude toward herself. And what does God say? Well, there's a laughter here, but there's a laughter of hope for sure. But this is a hopeless laughter that she responds to God. And I look at that laugh. It's a bitter laugh. It's a woman who used to believe, yes, maybe even I could have a child in my old age, but that was 25 years ago. And her laughter is, oh, yeah, right. You got me once, you're not going to get me again. I didn't laugh. Why'd she do that? When she got discovered, she's now terrified. Uh-oh, I'm in real trouble. Too hard for the Lord? Is there anything too hard for the Lord? The word there means wonderful. Is there anything that is too wonderful for the Lord is the question here. Is there anything that is, well, I'm working with a guy right now that's just eaten up by anxiety. Just eaten up by anxiety. And I've spent a fair bit of time with him and he's got some other people working with him. He's a great man of God. Eaten up by anxiety. And I spent some time with him this week praying and examining and doing some deep inside work with him. And I found myself thinking, is there anything too wonderful, the Lord? I'm saying, yeah, he's sitting right in front of me. We've done everything we can think of. And I was texting with him last night and again this morning. Is there anything too wonderful for God? And the answer is, yeah. I totally get Sarah. That's what Sarah was, our Sarah was talking about. There are times when I just can't believe it. Is there anything too wonderful, the Lord? Yeah, there is. Sarah will have a son. She's afraid, lied. I didn't laugh. Then God says, what? 
Yes, you did laugh. Think about it. What is the, the Lord corrects her. Yeah, you laughed. He corrects her, her, her doubt, her hopelessness. What's the tone of his voice? What is the tone of his voice? When he says, yes, you did laugh. He didn't say it like that, of course. What's the tone of his voice? See, what's happened, the text doesn't tell us. But what happens is the picture of God you have in your head will inform this, and without even thinking about it, you'll put a tone on his voice based on your picture of God. And I think the narrative is here is to help us see better the character of God who says, yeah, you laughed. Did he say it angrily? Woman, like, believe, come on, what do I got to do? Don't you know I'm God? Did he say it with sternness, not anger, but stern? I'm God. Did he say it with maybe firmness? You know, the parent with really good boundaries for their kid. And firmly sit down. You did laugh. Not angry, but firm. Did he say it with compassion? I I totally get it. Of course you can't believe it. You're 89 years old. You you did believe. I I understand it. In fact, I'm going to go through a hard night in a couple thousand years that's going to be more rugged than what you've gone through. And I'm going to lose hope there in a garden called Gethsemane. You fill in the blank with what you would put in there. I think compassion is the right word there. I think he's saying, of course you, of course you laugh. Of course you're bitter. I totally get it. <laughs> There's going to be a baby and it's going to come real soon. You're going to feel a baby moving your womb. And we're going to have a party to end all parties. The unstoppable God. So I think the God of promise is the compassionate, faithful And it doesn't depend on our faith whether he's going to be compassionate or faithful. Now, we can block his faith by resistance, but that's what we're talking about here. Nimrod, Babylon versus Abraham, city of God. I talked about that when we did the Genesis 11 sermon. That Babylon's a city of ultimate arrogance, self-centeredness, self-indulgence. Abraham's city of God is a city of service, compassion, confidence, that contrast is going on here. The Lord commissions Abraham. You look at this. Two men got up to leave. They looked down towards Sodom. Abram walked along with them. The Lord said, shall I hide from Abram what I'm going to do? He'll become a great, powerful nation, repeats the Abrahamic covenant, for I have chosen him. Why did God choose Abraham? What cool thing was he doing? Nothing. God just picked him out. There's no particular reason for picking up Abraham. If I read John 24 correctly, he's worshiping other gods. And Yahweh shows up and says, come with me, and he follows. The here follow obedience pattern is there from the beginning. Also some sin stuff. But his chosen, it's simply God working. And he's going to keep the way of the Lord. What's one word for keep the way of the Lord? Obey. He is going to obey specifically by doing 
righteousness and justice, the Hebrew words are sadakah and mishpat. And that sadakah and mishpat means God who comes to the marginalized, the forgotten, the nobodies, the spiritual zeros, to build a community of justice and righteousness. That's what we're doing here with the Immigrant Connection Ministry that we're going to take the fellowship offering for a little bit later in our service. Because we believe that the invisible people in our neighborhood, Egyptians, Syrians, Hispanic folk, people who don't have papers, legal papers, this ministry will help them get those papers at far, far less cost. I mean, it's amazing stuff. Fully supported by the Department of Justice and ICE, all that kind of stuff. And our fellowship offering will be to join at the Wesleyan Church nationally in Columbia View, Wesleyan, here in our neighborhood, to reach out to people. And that's Sadakan Mishpat. That's righteousness and justice. It's caring not just for the valuable person, but for the invisible person, so that the Lord will bring about everyone what he's promised him. His blessing is conditional at some level to our obedience. Look at this. The Lord said, outcry in Sodom is so great, their sin is grievous, that I will go down and see if what they've done is as bad as the outcry has reached me. Two things. Does God not know what's going on in Sodom? Hey, I better go check it out, like the reports. Do you see what's on the Twitter feed this morning? No, no, I mean, obviously he knows what's going on. It's a way of idiomatically say, I'm going to go check it out for myself. I'm going to do it. I'm going to be personally involved. Not which is Abraham and Sarah. He's going to be personally involved with the most wicked city in the world in that day. He's going to go himself and check it out himself. Who's the outcry? Who is it in Sodom who's crying out in groaning? Who is it? Is it the noise of the people? We want more booze. I don't think so. I think it's the cry that gets the Lord's attention is from the enslaved people. It's the ancient sex slaves. It's the workers who have been captured and brought to serve. And it's their cry, just like Exodus 2. When the cry of Israel under the murderous attention of Pharaoh comes to God and he hears and is concerned, I think that's whose cry gets God's attention. Worship team, if you want to come up here, we're going to give it over to you in a few minutes. The men turned away and went towards Sodom, and Abram remained standing before the Lord. Then Abram approached and said, Will you sweep away the righteous, the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in this city? 50 people among this city. Will you really sweep it away and not spare for the sake of 50 righteous people? Far be it for you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous, the wicked. Far be it from you, will you not judge the earth do right? The Lord said, if they find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole wicked place because of those 50 people. And if you read the story, he goes 50, 45, 40, 30, 20, and he ends up at the last of it with 10. What if only 10 can be found there? He answered, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. What is this saying? Abraham is praying heartbroken for the city of Sodom. And he is praying for the forgiveness for the many wicked people because of the righteousness of the few. And he stops at 10. But we go to one, Jesus Christ. And Jesus is praying for us 
Lord, will you spare the many sinners, shamed, fearful people, us, for the sake of the one righteous person? And God's answer then and now is yes. 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 And the question, the gospel question is, will you receive God's forgiveness purchased with the life and death of Jesus Christ? We're going to celebrate it with communion here in just a minute. He is the living hope, and that's why we can laugh in hope even in the dark days. And there'll be a lament times for sure, and we do lament as a community. But we believe that God, there is nothing too wonderful for him to do. But man, does it frustrate me when he doesn't do it. But we keep doing because he's chosen us that we might keep the way of Yahweh by doing tzedakah and mishpat, righteousness and justice in our community. The immigrant connection is one way we do it, but you're going to go into your workplace. You're going to go into your school setting. You're going to your community. And you're going to be the one taking goodness, mercy, compassion, grace, hope, carrying out the compassion of the God who comes to a hopeless old lady and says, you're going to have a baby. Weird world when you serve the living God of the universe. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for loving us so much that you are willing to do all that you did. Jesus, you died for us. Lived to show us how to live before that death and then raised to newness of life, giving us your life, pouring out the Holy Spirit to give us unity and power and grace for a world filled with cynicism and despair. Triune God, empower us to love our city the way you loved this world. And in the name of Jesus Christ, we will go and take that compassion, justice, generosity, and hope. Empower us to do that good work. Amen. Go change the world. Thank you for listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church. For more information about service times and ways to connect, visit us online at gracecc.net.